So I'll give you a moment to turn there as I do the same. And I'll read for us. Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. This is the word of the Lord, and it's for us today. And this is a, a the beginning in, in Hosea chapter 6 is the beginning of uh, a beautiful uh, interlude, as you will, if you will. As Dale has pointed out many times, we kind of change back and forth between um, different styles and different ideas and, and different thoughts, and it, it seems to change gears kind of quickly at times. But what we see here is uh, we would identify it as a, as a song or as a prayer. And it comes on the heels of very stark rebuke that those of you who are here last week or were able to listen in might remember that uh, God pronounced through Hosea to not only the northern kingdom of Israel, but to the southern kingdom of Judah as well, that... Um, this warning, and he specifically addressed the priests. He addressed those who who have affluence and and power, and he also addressed the leadership. He addressed the kings, the princes, uh, those who had direct control over the governance of the people. And he laid at their feet this blame and said, "This this calamity is for you." Because you have led these people astray, you you set snares at, at Mizpah, and you you set uh, uh, traps, you spread nets uh, for the people who are following after you, and it was a very strong rebuke, and it was uh, very harsh. And in the end, the Lord pronounced that He would bring this judgment to His people. And when we look at texts particularly Old Testament texts where there is some distance between us, uh, meaning that the culture is very different. The time is a, was a very long time ago. The, the things that were going on, maybe it's a little difficult for us to understand. And the, and the way that people write, uh, wrote in those days is very different. If you get a modern book today and you read it from beginning to end, whether it's a novel or, or some kind of technical book, the style from beginning to end is very is very consistent. That's what editors do. They bring some consistency to uh, a, a book so that you don't have sort of this this back and forth. But we don't see that in uh, particularly in the ancient text. It's a, it's a completely different style. It doesn't fit the Western mindset that we're accustomed to. So when we come to text, we, we really need to be careful. We really need to be thoughtful when we look into these things to understand what is going on. A couple things that I want to preface before I get into these th three verses. Um, we don't have anywhere in history recorded a revival in the northern kingdom we have uh recently had a lot of discussion about a um 
a revival or what we had designated or has been designated as revival at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky that went on for a number of days and there's all manner of discussion about the validity of it and, and whether this is real revival and, and those things you don't really know until you look back in retrospect. But we don't see anything. We don't see a time where the, the northern kingdom returned to God. We don't see... um we don't see the, the king rediscovering the word of God and bringing it to the people with tears and with sackcloth and ash, turning away and putting away the astra and the bales and, and all these things. We just don't see that. And as uh, Dale pointed out, and as I mentioned again last week, this really started with uh, two golden calves placed in Dan and Bethel. Uh, as a matter of convenience to keep people from going from Israel down to Judea or down to Judah, where they may not return. So they these were put there so that people could worship God along with their idols. So the second thing that I want us to think about uh, this morning, the first the first thing uh, was that we don't have a, a revival recorded in this period. But the the second thing is, how does this relate to our time and our period and the things that we have going today? How do we compare? to Israel and Judah in our own society, in our own culture? Do we have calves uh, set up for us to worship alongside God? Or is our worship pure? Last week we talked about, that was the question that I posed. Is, is your worship of God pure or is it tainted with, with other things? Do we bring other things to our worship of God, so I want us to have those things in our mind as we look at the text today, and and as we um, look into what it is that that Hosea is saying to the people that he's bringing this message to, and he, he it begins with a call, and when we see this call, it's kind of a dual call. It's a it is a national call. It's a call for all the people. But it's also a very personal call. It's a call for individuals. So we'll, we'll begin in, in verse number one. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. So Hosea is saying, come. When you tell someone to come, you either are directing them to come to join you where you are, or you are directing them to follow you somewhere. And I think in this instance, Hosea is directing the people to follow him, to join him in returning to the Lord. Come. He's lumping himself in uh, with the Israelites and the Judites, and he is imploring them to join him. And where does he want to go? He wants to return to the Lord. Now, if you remember just a little bit back in Hosea 5, 8, we have, uh, we have this call that says, Blow the horn in Gibeah, the trumpet at Ramah. Set the alarm at beth Aven. We follow you, O Benjamin. And you may remember that uh, my interpretation or my understanding of this was this was a, a sarcastic thing that Hosea was saying this was a this wasn't a genuine call to repentance because he knew the hearts 
of the people he was talking to. And he was pointing out to them that they that it's not likely that they will return because they didn't desire to return to God. He's spelling out this calamity to them and the appropriate response would be to turn, but there's no expectation that they will. And I think this passage leads a lot of um, a lot of scholars and, and and those who would interpret scripture to say that what we see in the beginning of six one is is similar to that that it that it is maybe this isn't a genuine call, but I don't think that the context of scripture and particularly the context of what we see in all of uh, chapter six bears that out. I, I don't think that that is the case with this call. I believe that this is a, a genuine plea and it's the style is is written as a song or as a prayer that Hosea genuinely is imploring the people he's speaking with, particularly those in, in Israel in the northern kingdom, for them to to come, to return, to turn away from the idols and the things that that have drawn you away from God, these golden calves that you have turned to, these the the prostitutes in the temple that you have turned away, that you've turned from, the unfaithfulness that you have lived your life, uh, that you have ingrained into your life, turn away from those things and follow God. He makes this proclamation, but again, I don't believe that Hosea's expectation is that the people he specifically is addressing are going to heed his call. Because what did we talk about in the very beginning? We don't see evidence of a revival in the northern kingdom. We don't see a place where it says, and for a time the people rallied around that they, they put on sackcloth and ash and they, they tore down the, the temples, they melted the calves. We don't see that that happened. In fact, what we see is we captivity. We see the people that in Hosea 5 that... Uh, that Israel turned to for assistance and aid in their time of need instead of turning to God, we see those people coming and, and taking them, coming and, and capturing them and, and carrying them away and filling their homeland with Gentiles. That's what we see. So we have this this cry in the beginning, come, come return to the Lord without a real expectation that it will actually happen. It's a genuine cry, but if, we, if you think of Isaiah, Isaiah's ministry is characterized by, in the very beginning, the Lord says, Isaiah, you're going to take this message to my people. It's going to be a stern message. They're not going to want to hear it. They're going to hate you for it. None of them are going to turn. All of your ministry, everything, that, every word that you utter, none of the people who hear it are going to turn. That would be really difficult to know at the beginning of your ministry, no one you preach to is ever going to come. But because of the power of God and the grace of God and the love of God, who benefits today from the words of Isaiah? All of us, generations after generation after generation. And Isaiah preached in captivity. 
So he, the understanding was no one was going to turn. Hosea has this same sense. We saw last week in um, where Hosea admits or, or understands that, that Judah is going to fall as well. He doesn't desire that. That's not what he would like to see. He would like to see what any prophet or preacher would like to see, and that's for people to turn from their sin and to follow God. But what we see as we look into these, these first three verses, we see a series of reversals. We see a series of God taking the things that, that he said through Hosea in chapter 5 and saying, but this is what's going to come on to you. But, and let's look at, um, let's look at the first one that we see. Uh, the first one we see is when God heals what he is, what he has torn. This is a reversal of Hosea 5.14. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, Israel, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear and go away. I will carry off and no one will rescue. This was a very harsh warning from God that I'm going to, like a lion, I'm going to bring pain. I'm going to tear at your nation. I'm going to tear. And we, we talked about lions, when they, when they attack something, they don't typically leave it. They usually drag it back to their lair and eat it. But God has relented in that he he has said, yes, I'm going to tear you. Why? So that I may heal you. And we see what a, a beautiful thing, and a thing that I want you to keep in mind, that it is better to be torn by God than it is to be lauded and extolled by your culture. It's better for God to tear us than it is for us to be lifted up by your contemporaries, by the world. The second reversal that we see comes right after, um, and that is God will bandage the wounds of Israel in... Hosea 5.12, we talked about, um, but I'm like a moth to Ephraim and like dry rot to the house of Judah. We looked at what those things really meant and what the, the inference was that God was going to be like maggots in a festering wound, like a, a gangrenous wound. In this era, you didn't go to the hospital and get antibiotics and a saline flush. You didn't get a port in your wound. You, you didn't, they didn't have these things. So a gangrenous wound was a lot of times was fatal. Who inflicted this wound on Judah? God did. God inflicted this wound, but what does he say? He has struck us down and he will bind us up. Hosea is calling Israel and Judah to genuine repentance. He is telling them that these wounds that you have can only be healed by God. You can only be bound by the one that struck you. 
and he lays this very clearly at God's feet, right? He he's he is saying that this is on the Lord. He has torn us. Why would Hosea say such a thing? Why would he blame God for these hurts that we have? Why would he why would he lay that at the feet of God? Because God is the one doing the tearing. And this is a a theological stumbling block for our culture today that probably would have just been glossed over and accepted as a truth in in Hosea's day. This idea that the calamity that you're under, God brought that. God put that on you. Now, God doesn't bring every calamity. We see all throughout Scripture where uh, Satan ran throughout... uh, he was given leave to run throughout Job and, and lay desolation to everything that he had and to lay affliction on him. So we, we don't, we don't say that, that God puts all these things, but certainly none of these things, none of these calamities happen apart from God's doing with that from apart from God allowing them. I think it's, it's, it's kind of dangerous for, for us to say that, that God doesn't, put pain on us but he does allow it to happen for our own good um because we i think we miss the mark when we think in those terms god did tear god did tear israel god did wound judah and it is really our place to ask god why he does a thing if God does something, we don't have the, the right to question why that he does it. But in this particular instance, Hosea explains why. He has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. God is endearing his people to himself. He's bringing discipline and not destruction to his people. Now, remember the the first thing that, that we talked about, there is no revival for the northern kingdom. And we'll get to that a little bit more. But many of those in the northern kingdom, many of those in Israel died in captivity, died in their sin. And this is an important thing for us to uh for us to grasp and to wrestle with we don't like how that makes us feel the idea that god could bring calamity to a person and i'm not one of the guy the guys who say your feelings are irrelevant concerning the word of god because i think that our, our feelings are are excellent guideposts but they're terrible hitching posts we shouldn't at- attach ourselves to what we feel and go by that this isn't disney this is uh, real life where we have feelings and when we have a when we disagree with something that we read in the in the word of god and, a, and it strikes us in our feelings and, and and we don't like it this is a wonderful indicator that we need to improve our understanding of god we need to look deeper into the word of god this is a this is the flag that comes up that says your understanding is incomplete or incorrect in this thing. That's why you feel the way that you do. In our mindset, in our culture today, Jesus is 
the nice guy. He's your buddy. We leave out the idea, and, and what we want to do is we want to unhitch the Old Testament and say, well, that's, that's different. Even if you do that, when you read the New Testament and you see Christ talking about judgment, it's very clear that our, mis- our understanding of God is incorrect if our feeling is that, well, Jesus would never do anything to hurt us. This is this life, this season that we're in is a very small period of time. It's a blip on the radar of history. We don't have, if we're lucky, 70, 80 years, maybe 100, but that's nothing. It's nothing in, in, the, the, in all of recorded history. It's a small dot on a, on a line, but in, in light of eternity, it's absolutely nothing. So we consider pain that we have in this life, we attach to it a, a, a great deal of value, and it makes it easy for us to overlook what it is that God is doing. But God keeps his own counsel. He doesn't come and ask us what it is that should be done. Ephesians 1.11 says, Ephesians 1.11, In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God does what he pleases. Now we like when the will of God, when we perceive that as benefiting us, if it's God's will that we have a financial windfall, we really like that. If it's God's will that we have a season where we're un unnaturally healthy or things go really well at work we like god's will then but that is not always the case what we don't like is when when god breaks our bodies to get our attention to set us down to draw us to himself we don't like when we have consequence for our sin that that causes real pain in our lives we don't like that we don't like the suffering that comes along with that. So when those things happen, we say, well, that's not, that's not God's will. And we're, we're wrong. We're wrong to say that. Um, the things that, that God brings to us in discipline may cause suffering, but you know what? Uh, the Bible says we, if we are to join Christ in his resurrection, we have to join him in his suffering. We can't, not join Christ in his resurrection if we aren't willing to participate in his death and in his suffering. God tears because it's his will to do so. And the things that God does in discipline for his people are ultimately beneficial. It is a joyous thing to be torn by God. Why? that he may heal us. God tears that he may heal. He breaks that he may bind. I remember as a kid thinking when I had heard, you know, somebody had broken an arm and they said, well, it's, yeah, it's bad. He's in a cast. He's going to have that. But you know, that bone will be stronger. And I thought, man, I should break all my bones. 
Imagine how strong I'd be if I broke all the bones of my body. Very young, very dumb. But that was my, that was my idea. That was my understanding. But when God breaks us, he binds us. And yes, we do become stronger. And if we are disciplined in God, we are stronger in him. We are made whole in Christ. When we have calamity, we don't run to the Assyrian king. Why? Because he's not mighty to save. The Assyrian king is about his own business. The Assyrian king is a tool to be used by God to bring discipline and destruction to his people. That's not where we go. When we have struggles here in this world, we don't turn to our culture. As Christians, we turn to God because what he tears, he heals. What he breaks, he binds. So the northern kingdom, they they cried out to the king of Assyria for help. They did not cry out to God. We unfortunately see a very similar pattern uh, many years later in Judah with a very similar result. But this breaking, this isn't condemnation of destruction of all of God's people because we know there are remnant. There, are, there, There's a remnant even from the northern kingdom. Uh, there are remnant that, that were saved and we know that, uh, that Judah is preserved eventually. One of the things that we have to look at when we read in in anything, but in, in particular when we're reading Hosea 6, who is us? Come let us. Um, that's that's important. He has struck us down, and it's important because the other the one of the first things we said: Northern Kingdom Israel does not have a revival. They are not spared. They're not taken back to their kingdom years later and and reestablished, and 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 they don't come back to God in a significant way. Who is us? Because if Hosea is preaching to a people who aren't going to turn, uh, when when does this come? When do, when is when when are we going to be healed? When are we going to be bound up? So we look in uh, verse two. After two days he will revive us. On the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. What does this put us in mind of? Immediately. Most likely, many of you read this and think of Christ. Think of Christ. Two days in the ground on the third day. First uh, Corinthians 1 4. First Corinthians 1 4 says that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. If we look at the footnote, uh, for where 1 Corinthians 1 4, where this takes us, it really doesn't hearken to anywhere. The cross reference doesn't take us back to Hosea 6 2. But this is in what I could find one of the clear allusions to Christ's death and his resurrection. 
So I didn't, I didn't find a more clear allusion to this, but this also kind of helps us get in mind what it is that Hosea is saying. Because what is, what is it that these, that the people he's preaching to are going to be saved to? What are they going to, when does their freedom come? Is there freedom? Is he, is he speaking specifically to Judah to say, well, after 70 years, you'll get to go back and you'll get to build the temple and, and you get to be let out? Is that the binding, the healing that Hosea is alluding to? I don't think so. That's a temporal thing. That's a thing that, that it, again, what happens to the temple was destroyed again. For good. And um, in a very profane way. The temple is... is and the worship in the temple ends. So this... I don't think that this is what Hosea is pointing to. I believe, and in context with the scripture, that he is calling the people of God to return to God that they might dwell with him. This is our issue. This is the, when Adam and Eve, when the relationship that they had with God was broken, we have a gap. We have a space between us. We are unable to attain to God. We are unable to perfectly commune with him. We're in a, he, he isn't able to dwell with us because of our sin. So the spiritual condition of mankind has been ruined. How is it that, that we can live with God? How can we dwell with him? How can we live before him? After two days, he will revive us. And on the third, he will raise us up. The time is difficult. This doesn't mean, Hosea isn't saying, hey, if today you come to the altar and you repent, then in three days, everything is going to be better. This is a, this is one of those things where, where time is, is kind of relative to a, a different perspective. Um, it, everything is kind of like that. In the literal sense, Jesus was three days from his away from his disciples. How long do you think it was felt like waiting in that upper room? Thinking that Jesus was dead, for good dead, and that everything was over. That would have seemed like an interminable period of time. When the calamity comes on the northern kingdom of Israel and when the calamity comes on Judah, it will seem like an, in, an incredible amount of time. And in fact, the people of Hosea's generation won't know freedom. They won't know uh, release from captivity. They won't know a time when they're free to worship God the way that they ought to do and this is one of the things too that really struck me reading through all of chapter 6 all 11 verses thinking about it people there are many people today in churches maybe not just like this one but in churches 
all across America, all across Mason County, all in the city of Maysville, and really all, all across the globe, there are people who feel like that they are honoring God as Christians, but they have their golden calf. And when their, when their struggles come, that's what they turn to. I've talked to before about, you know, we have a, a, a problem of insurance. Everything we have is insured. My car explodes. Well, I've got insurance. Meteor hits my house. That's terrible. I've got insurance. I get sick. I've got insurance. I accidentally break something of my neighbors. Well, I've got insurance for that. We have to be very careful and very clear about what it is that we put our faith in. What is it that we turn to when the when the lions are coming? What is it we turn to when we're wounded? When we're wounded in our spirit, what do we turn to? So this captivity is not going to be a short thing. Even uh, the Babylonian captivity, 70 years, that's a really long time. That's longer than a lot of people live. Uh, in that day, probably most people didn't live 70 years. But Hosea is is speaking specifically to the people he's speaking to, specifically for them to return, for them to to let God bind their wounds, for them to put aside their idols. But he also is speaking in general terms to the nation, to the nations, and he's speaking in general terms in a way that we should take seriously and, and understand. <clears throat> so we know that Israel's punishment is harsher than, than Judah's. Um, we understand that. Uh, and we see Hosea calling people to return. And let's look at verse 3 as we look at um, two more reversals. Let us, pre- let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. He's, his going out is as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as showers as the spring rains on the earth. So these seem like just nice, pretty things to say, kind of poetic prose but they're actually are dealing with specific things the third reversal um hosea calls the people of israel to press on to know the lord do and if you remember back hosea 5 7 they have dealt falsely with the lord for they have borne alien children and the new moon shall devour them with their fields so we talked about these aren't actual aliens these are foreign children these are uh People born in a improper sexual relationship with uh, someone who doesn't worship God, who worships false gods and worships idols. So then they're they're bringing into God's people a people that don't worship God, that they are idolaters. So God's going out is as sure as the dawn. I've woken up some mornings and it's been kind of dark out. But you know what? The sun was still there. It may have been obscured, but every day that I've been alive, the sun has come up. Every day. 
46 and a half years without fail. I can't attest to anything before that, but I don't, nobody's really said anything about, you know, one day the sun didn't come up at all. In Alaska, it feels like that. In Alaska, it is dark in certain times of the year, all the time. It's like dusk. You know, you have a real bright moon here and, and you can, you can kind of see to find your car and, and walk around. It's like that pretty much all the time. Super depressing. But what Hosea is, is referring to is the spiritual darkness. Remember we talked about the new moon last week about how it probably was an eclipse and it brought darkness and it was a symbolic thing because what happens if you're to your crops if you don't have sun, if you don't have water? They die. If you have a house plant and you put it in a dark closet and you never water it, it dies. Well, in the same way, this spiritual darkness leads to death. And this, this reversal is, is God coming as sure as the dawn. He's bringing with him light. And we can understand as spiritual light, but as, for the metaphor, he is bringing sun, the sunshine, of the dawn to the land. Uh, Hosea 4.19, A wind has wrapped them in its wings, and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. The wind comes. This is symbolic of a drought. We've had some dry spells here. Um, we haven't had a serious drought, thankfully, in a couple years. Uh, but there are parts of the world that live from drought to drought. Somehow they, they eke out an existence. But God is saying, the winds have brought the drought, and in the final reversal, he will come to us in showers. If you're a farmer, and you've gone a long spell without rain, how welcome is a good shower? It's essential. We can't live without water. We can't live without light. And if we think about it in, in spiritual terms, we can't live without streams of living water. Jesus offered streams of living water uh, to the woman at the well. This water is what sustains us for eternity. The issue that we have is that we run from the living water. We run from the, the sun and, and we like to go into dark places. And that's where we spend our time. We spend our time on our idols. We spend our time on things that we prefer. And we worship. We, we even make an idol of God. Because we take the truth of who God is in his word. And we distort it. We make him fit into our understanding. Do you think that the people that Hosea was preaching to were completely stunned? to hear him say that they were worshiping idols? Is this something that they accidentally fell into? Maybe they weren't intentional. Maybe they weren't diligent. Maybe they kind of fell into it in the sense that they just sort of played around with it. But whenever we allow these types of things to come into our worship, when we aren't diligent, then we invite drought. We invite darkness. These things, they didn't happen. This, these reversals, they didn't happen in Hosea's day. 
They didn't come to his people because they didn't return. And a prevailing thought that I hear a lot of people um, that I speak with at work or in other places, family members, the prevailing thing that people say, yeah, I need to get back to church. I will, once I get things settled down in my life, I will get right with God. I've got something going now with the king of Assyria, but once we get all that sorted, then I'll come back to God. And I won't, I won't need the, you know, these idols. They're kind of a crutch for me. It's kind of helping me cope, helping me get along in my life because things are hard. Things are tough. When all that gets figured out, then I'll return to God. But that isn't the message that Hosea is bringing. Hosea is saying, come, return to the Lord. You're broken because of the things that you're leaning on. You're in darkness because you're, you're worshiping these idols. You have a drought in your spirit because you give credence to something that can't save you. You love something that I hate. This is what God says. You, the things that you love, I despise. And you know what? I despise your worship. I despise how you come to me with prayers that are wordy and, and you say things that, that, that sound right, that you've heard repeated, but you come to me with dirty hands and a dirty heart. And you think that you're my children, but when you, when you come to me at the end, I will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. Do you think that the people that Hosea preached to when they came to the end of their life and they stood before God in judgment, do you think they're like, oh, yeah, I guess I, I saw this coming. I should have put the idols apart. I should have put that away. No, they were undoubtedly shocked because they thought that they lived according to the word of God. They thought they were God's people. I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a tribe of Benjamin. I'm good. I'm a descendant of, of Abraham, of, of Isaac and of Jacob. I'm of the, I'm of the lineage of the tribe of the Levites. I, I'm good. I'm set. My papa built this church. Those are the things we say. When the reality is we need to look, we need to consider these things and say, what are the idols that my heart loves? And we need to crush them. We need to burn them. We need to put them away. Are we under false assurance? Today was a, is a message of hope, and it is, and we, we should see it that way. But undergirding it is a very clear, is this, this warning that we see in Hosea 5, that if we continue on in whoredom, if we continue on chasing these idols, if we continue on with dirty, filthy hearts, 
proclaiming the Lord with our mouth, then we're, we're to be torn apart. Because, make no mistake, God is a, is a roaring lion. He comes in, in terror. Not in the sense that we think of that, that we should flee before God, but we should kneel before God. His power is great. His holiness is absolute. And if we think we can play with idols and worship God at the same time, then we're fools. We're no better off than the, than the people in the northern kingdom and in Judah that Hosea was preaching to. I will get right with the Lord someday. That's what we say. When should we turn back to the Lord? When should we return to the Lord? Today, now, in this hour. Today is the day of salvation. This, this gospel, this incredible gospel that the, that the Lord has implored those of us who He has called, that He's implored us to, to share is incredible because it says you were born as rebels. You were born my enemies. And because of that, I will destroy you. There's a place that I have made for my enemies. It's called hell. Satan is there. He is under my, th- my thumb. Hell isn't a place that, that, that Satan runs. It's not his resort. It's not his fortress. It's his prison. And it was created for enemies of God. And our idea that hell is awful because God isn't there is false. Hell is awful because God's wrath is there. Very present. So this is the destiny of those born into rebellion against God is that we are to be punished eternally. But God, we did no thing to deserve the mercy of God. We don't have in us the ability to please God. There is no good thing in us but God. In His mercy, brought His Son who absolutely kept all of God's commands in every respect. One man ever made was fit for heaven. Namely, Jesus the Christ. And did He live His life and enjoy it and worship God and, and then die happy? No. He died in a horrible way in our place so that it's possible that our rebellion could be put down. So that we can return to the Lord. So that in Christ, that our deeds, our sin, our sinful lives, our filth, that God doesn't look on that. That when we go before God, if we're in Christ, He looks at us and He sees the righteousness of His Son. Only then do we return. Only then 
are we healed. Only then are our wounds bound. Only then do we come out of darkness and we stand in the dawn, the light of dawn. Only then do we have living water never to thirst again. So my call today, if you're here and you're in Christ, what are our idols? What are the things we need to crush? What are the things that we need to burn? And if you're here today and you are not in Christ, consider what is your option? How do you come out of this rebellion? How do you, at the end of your life, stand before God? What are you going to offer? Were you going to say, look at this mount of ash that is my life? There's nothing that we can bring to God. There's no payment that we can make. Our only hope of being able to live with God for eternity is Christ Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. So I implore you, if you aren't saved today, that you come, leave your idols behind, that you come to God in repentance. You confess your sin. You beg God to forgive you. And you ask that you might be saved. Let's pray together. Most gracious God, we come with nothing to offer. We come as people in sinful flesh. And we come as as people with uh, idols hidden in our pockets. And we ask for your forgiveness. We ask, Lord, that we would put aside the things uh, that are that are abhorrent to you. And that we come with clean hearts. That by the power of your Spirit, Lord, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. That our desire would be Christ. That our desire would be to honor you, to glorify you, to lift up your name. And Father, my prayer as we leave here is that we we understand this gospel that we understand this life this death this resurrection of your perfect son on our behalf and we don't take for granted that sacrifice father i pray we would have a desire to be healed to be bound up father that our desire would be to bask in your light and to be planted by living water, that we would be, Father, evermore with you. And I pray that as we depart from this place, that you are glorified in the things that we say, the things that we do, and the works of our hands. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.